the subject of one God, why so many religions? You know, just the subject in reading it is almost indisputable on how there are so many religions. You stop and you look around and you can just see that almost daily different religions are being formed somewheres in the world. I grew up in town here and know Morristown really well. And just off the top of my head, I uh, counted that there's at least 12 different religions or churches that are in the uh, Morristown area itself. And then we know that there's many more in the world around. I mean, it only takes us just to go out and drive up the street a little bit to our right, to my right, and we come across the Pentecostal church there, a half a block up, we come to another community church. We go up to the main street and up to Camden Avenue and we make a left and we come to another church right away. And we stop and we wonder how there could be so many churches. The ironic thing about this is that out of all the churches there are, each one claims that they have the truth. And they'll use the same words that every other church will use, that we have the truth. And yet their beliefs are so different from one another, they're nowhere near the same. And we stop and we ask ourselves, how can this be? Each one of them thinks that theirs is correct. They think that they are the correct church. But what is amazing is how they all believe different things. And we just stop for a moment and we consider and we look at all the different beliefs that churches have. And we've listed just a couple of them here that are prevalent ones that we see. We have those that believe that they're saved. We have those that believe in a devil or Satan. We have those who believe in Holy Spirit gifts being available now. We have those that don't truly understand God and believe in a trinity. We have those that believe in a mortal soul. We have those that believe in the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. We have so many that believe that when you die, you go to heaven. We have others who maybe at one time believed in baptism and then in a confused state decided now that it would be proper to baptize infants and that infant baptism is acceptable. There's others that believe that there's no such thing as a kingdom of God coming on the earth because the kingdom of God is within you. And we stop and we think of all the different beliefs there are in addition to this and it just amazes us of the different beliefs there are, yet there was only one God who set out his truth in the very beginning. Now we would say that uh, how many religions are there in the world? And we could go to Google and it would give us the number. And there might be those here that think, uh, well, there's probably about 9,800 people that are religions that are in the world. Others might say, no, the number is greater than that. It's probably around 16,000 religions in the world. Others might think that, wow, there's probably about 33,000 different religions in the world. And then there's others that would stop and say, well, there's not quite that many. There's probably about 26,000. And we probably all are sitting here and we're saying, okay, well, wonder which is the correct number. 
and we know that the correct number is 33,000. If you just type into Google and look to see how many religions there are in the world, you'll come up with the number in excess of 33,000. And it's just amazing to see this many denominations, this many beliefs that are in the world today. And this is what we'd like to look at and look into tonight so that we might get a better understanding of it. Now we start off with the subject as our title is that there's one God. And we truly believe that there is one God in heaven, the creator of all things, the one who sustains us, that takes care of us day after day, that sees to our needs, the one who responds to us from our prayers and answers our prayers. And we truly believe in that. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse, uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, we read, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There is truly just one God. There's one hope, one faith, and there's one God in heaven. And we know the Bible itself tells us that there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, in his life and in his ministry, we know as he was teaching his disciples, and for the last three and a half years of his life, he had that group of disciples or apostles that he worked with and that he taught, that he educated, that he brought to a way that they would be able to carry on the work after he was departed. And we know that he went to the point that he taught them and showed them miracles that could happen, how to heal people, what to say. And we know it was a great teaching process for them at that time. But at the end of that time, when Jesus went into heaven, he gave some final instructions to those disciples as they were assembled there. And we read in Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 15, where it says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. We know that the disciples were told, the apostles, to go out and to preach the gospel. They needed to believe in God and believe in the gospel to be saved. And so we ask the question, well, what is the gospel? And the gospel is the things concerning Jesus Christ and the things concerning the kingdom of God. And they needed to truly believe in those things to be baptized and to go in a way that would be pleasing before God. Now, what's interesting with our subject tonight, if you notice, it didn't say you need to believe some sort of gospel. You need to believe, have some sort of belief. It was a specific belief that was needed to have. You needed to believe the gospel. There was one truth set of beliefs that was on the earth. And this set of beliefs, the Apostle Paul understood and he believed in. He taught and he carried on the ministry. And he says to us in 
Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The Apostle Paul, in speaking of the gospel, understood that there was a gospel message that was there. There was a set of beliefs that was needed to have, and he truly believed in that. And we find that that is the importance going through the gospel record and reading through the Bible and understanding and having a true belief. But what we would like to do for a moment, if we could, is we would like to digress and we'd like to look at an example of how people could fall from the truth. How is it the people who understood and had the hope and were followers of God could suddenly leave it? And we have a tremendous example and one that I think might help us. If we look in Exodus chapter 32, we're looking at the period of time that Moses talks about and to set the stage for what had happened, we know that Moses had just gone before Pharaoh. He had displayed through God's miraculous hand the ten plagues that came upon the earth. And we can just stop and for a moment consider how miraculous that was. Finally, Pharaoh, after the death of the firstborn, tells the children of Israel to leave and to depart. And they do. And after they depart, we know they travel up and suddenly they're in a situation where the Red Sea is before them and the Egyptians, who had changed their heart and their mind, decided to pursue after them. And we know that they pursued after them and they came and it was through God's intervention that they were saved at that point. And then suddenly we know the pillar of cloud came down and protected them. And we know that the sea, the Red Sea, opened up before them. And we know as it opened up, it became dry ground and they passed over. And you stop and you think, these children of Israel, you know, what they just saw was just amazing to actually see and to comprehend what had happened in Egypt, what had happened in the crossing of the Red Sea, and how miraculous that was. And we read, starting from Exodus chapter 32, after Moses ascends up into the mountain, it says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of thy wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. After just 40 days of Moses' absence, here they are, the children of Israel, are claiming that now this golden calf is what delivered them. After the God of heaven had brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, delivered them through the Red Sea, now they're believing that this calf is what it was that saved them. 
And what we'd like to do is we'd like to see that God's reaction to this, God's reaction to them making a statue and calling it their God. He was the God of heaven, and now they had a new God that was there. And we read in verse 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee in, down from thee, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. We know that God was so frustrated with these people that he was at the point that he was ready to destroy those people. We know how Moses comes and he intercedes for them. We know that God was furious with them for going after the golden calf. The ironic thing about this story is that as Moses was coming down from the mountain after being with God for 40 days, as he's coming down from the mountain, he's holding in his hands the Ten Commandments that were from God. And when we read those commandments, we read, the first, starting with the first, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, wait, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So we see that God would not tolerate their actions. God would not tolerate how they were. It wasn't a case that God was accepting and saying, well, if they want to have a golden calf, that would be okay. It's an alternate way of worshiping me. That was not the case. They were rebellious, and what they were doing was exactly what Moses was carrying down in the Ten Commandments that they had gone after other false gods. So we stop and we get back to the subject. We want to know, how do we find what is the correct truth out of all the religions in the world? And how do we come about that? How out of everyone that believes so many various different subjects, do we narrow it down to say, this is the true belief? This is the belief that we should have. Well, first, you have to have something that will guide you. You need something that will give you direction, that you can put your trust in, something that you can rely on. And we know that that is the Word of God, the Bible. Now, some religions have their own reference book. And that's as important or more important than the Bible. Some religions have organizations that tell people what to believe. But God tells us that we don't need other organizations. We don't need other books. That we have the word of God that he has given us. For instance, take Roman Catholicism, for example. Its followers are more disciples of, 
more disciples of the Pope than of God, deceived in doing so through their false claim that the Pope is Jesus stayed on the earth. Or the Church of England has its archbishops and reverend gentlemen who are looked at as the source of doctrine and beliefs rather than the Bible itself. We need to realize that God himself says, the one true and living God, that every scriptural passage is inspired by God. All of them are useful for teaching, for pointing out errors, for correcting people, and training them for a life that God approves. Everything we need to understand for true religion is found in the Bible. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 8 in verse 20, he says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. When people start saying that an organization or that a group of people or that an alternate book is what we need to believe in, they're in total contrast to what Isaiah tells people. And it's because he says, there is no light in them. If we open up our Bibles and we get back to the law and to the teachings of Jesus, we will see what the true message of God. God caused the Bible to be given to us so that we might learn his truth. In Acts chapter 17, we read, the Apostle Paul, speaking of those people that lived in Berea. And he says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. The Apostle Paul commended those living in Berea. He complimented them for their searching of the scriptures. Now we notice that the words that are said here, just a few words from the end, that they searched the scriptures daily. It was something they did every day. It was a part of their life. It wasn't a case where they got together on a one day of a week at the synagogue or at the church. They did it every day. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, to prove all things. To hold fast to that is good. These references lay emphasis upon the fact that the scriptures are able to be sufficient to teach the truth about God and what's necessary for salvation and uphold the right duty of ordinary people to read the scriptures for themselves. Search the scriptures was the instructions for us. We know how important that is. How can we say that we truly love God, that we believe in God, that our heart is given unto him if we never stop to read what he has to say? These brothers and sisters in Berea had the right approach and the right attitude in searching the scriptures daily for the teaching of God. Now, what had happened over a period of time is we know that when Jesus was on the earth, there was one true religion that was there. There was one true set of beliefs to be there. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to look at a series of verses that all point to the fact 
that there was a truth at one time. And we have five verses that we'd like to look at, five sections we'd like to look at, that there was a true religion at the time of Jesus. The first one in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, tells us that they were ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy that there were those individuals who learned all the time, they learned more and more, but they never came to a knowledge of the truth and the fact that there was a knowledge of the truth. There was a truth at that time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we read, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. There was a truth that Paul was telling those in Thessalonica about. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. And so again, we have the emphasis made that there was a truth. And Peter's writing of those who obeyed the truth. Next, we read an earlier verse of Peter in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse uh, 12. He says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. The Bible shows us that there was one definitive form of Christianity. There was one true form of belief to believe in. The Bible speaks through the words of the apostles, of a departure to the faith that there was. There was a truth that was there, and through the words and the writings of the apostles, we read of a departure that happened. So we know that after Jesus ascended to heaven, the apostles began teaching those that were around and educating people in the truth, the one truth, the only truth. The apostle Paul writes, speaking, of what was happening. And he speaks to those in Ephesus, and he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the ecclesia of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Watch, therefore, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So the Apostle Paul here is speaking, and he's telling the people that even of those that are members of the Ecclesia, those that are members there, for one reason or another, they would arise speaking things that were untrue, that were not founded upon God's word, to draw away people after them, perhaps to have a following of their own. Paul, in writing to Timothy, says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. How heartbreaking this would have been for the disciples as they see this transpiring where people among the ecclesia would draw away people after them because of their own lust and desires, wanting to be followed after. Again, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, he says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And so the Apostle Paul, speaking of those that would go after another gospel, they would go after another truth. And as we looked at the word gospel before, what was happening is they were deceiving and they were changing what the message was that was delivered by Jesus unto something else that would trouble the disciples that were there. Again, the Apostle uh, Peter says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so again we read, that there were those that received not the love of the truth. They had left the truth that they had once had. And Paul again, lastly, writing to Titus, says, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. So we've looked at these five references that all highlight how there was a truth that was there. And then brothers and sisters at that time turned from what was there and made up their own belief. And they changed what was there from the word of God. Peter also wrote about this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where Peter writes, But there were false prophets who were among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring upon them swift destruction, and many that follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom against the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. The Apostle Peter highlights this also and speaks of this time. Speaking of the time when people would fall away from the truth that was there. Such a Amazing time that people who had the hope of God, the hope of Jesus Christ, to have the hope of being in the kingdom of God, for whatever reason, changed their beliefs and deceived other people 
and took away from the truth. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as if from us as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come unless there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And so the Apostle Paul, again, speaking to those in Thessalonica, speaks how there would be this falling away from the truth that was there. Now, the reason they compromised the truth was to fit in with their beliefs, what their current beliefs were in the world and through their social societies. They allowed their thinking from their social societies to decide what the truth would be. And they altered their belief to be in accordance with that. They wanted convenience. They wanted things easier. They wanted things how they wanted. And so man changed the religion that God had given, had changed what was God's truth to the mess that we see in the world today of religions through the world that believe any variety of different things. Unfortunately today, many of the beliefs that these churches have are beliefs that are not even taught in the Bible. Beliefs that go from one extreme to another. People today look for a church that caters to what they believe. They look for a church that what their thinking would be would be acceptable of that. But that won't cater to their eternal well-being. Religions of the world soon came their own religion that had nothing to do with God. Jesus wrote about people like that, and he says, their worship of me is pointless because their teaching are rules made by humans. There are people who change the truth of God to what they wanted, and it's no different than we see how things were at the beginning at the time of Moses that we looked at at the beginning, that there was a truth that was there by God, and they changed it to the worshiping of a golden calf. Having the correct knowledge is critical for us as believers in God. You know, it just, just kind of makes sense when you stop and think about it. If you were going to be a doctor, you're not going to be a doctor without having a proper medical knowledge. If you're going to be a computer specialist, you have to have a computer knowledge to be able to do that. If you want to be a successful manager in a business, you need to know the principles of business. If you want to be a mechanic, you need to know the automotive knowledge. You need to know about engines and so forth. Why, when it comes to the Bible, when being a Bible student, do people say, it doesn't matter what you believe. Without Bible knowledge and right beliefs, there's no way that we can be a true, a true Christian. It would be fatal to try.
we stop and we ask the question that a lot of people in the world ask. They say, okay, well, there are those people that are in the world who are not necessarily Christians, but they live a good life. They are good people. And surely God will look after them because we can't even think of something that they do wrong. And we've probably all come across individuals like this who we say, and we've talked to people and they say, well, if you live a good life, if you're good, surely God's going to be accepting of you. And we'd like to just go to a verse and talk about a section of scripture that kind of answers this for those people who may think this. And we go to Acts chapter 10 in verse 1. And we read there at the time of Peter and Cornelius. He says, there was a certain man in, Corn in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And we stop and think of what a great person this would be to be our next door neighbor, someone who fears God, someone who's devout, one who gives much alms to the people, he helps people, he's very charitable to help out, an individual who prays to God. And surely this is the sort of person that would be accepted by God. And yet when Peter is confronted with this situation, he tells this man in verse 48 that we see, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Even after living such a good life and being such a good person, they were commanded to be baptized because God's principles still need to be followed. Sincerity and right living are essential, but coupled with a true and correct understanding of God's word. God has given us the requirements for belief, and we need to follow them. God has told us what we need to do, and we need to act upon that. If we can stop for a moment and think of a Bible story back at the beginning of Genesis, and we read at the time of Noah, and here's Noah as an individual that God came to, telling Noah that the world was a corrupt world that the world wasn't fit to continue, that it was corrupt before God and God was going to destroy it. God did not tell Noah to go to a certain location and to get into an ark and he would be saved. God gave Noah the knowledge. He gave him the information and Noah had to act upon that knowledge. If Noah would have sat back and said, well, I know what's there, but I'm not going to act upon it, he would have drowned with the rest of the world. But he acted upon the knowledge he had. And so we living today have to do the same. We've received the word of God. We've received the knowledge of how he wants us to live and what he wants us to do. And we have to act upon it. If we truly want to please God, we cannot come to him on our terms. Many religions try to do this sort of thing, trying to bargain with God, saying, here am I, accept me. 
James tells us in James chapter 4, he says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And one of the things we have to do, and we see the principle that's here, is we need to come to God. And by us making the effort to step towards God, God will come towards us and come towards us and help us in what we have. And so we use that as a lesson for us. Just living a good life is not good enough. We read in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, we read Jesus' words saying, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and thy name have done many wonderful works? And there will be those people that are at the time of Jesus when he returns that are going to come, and they're going to say, haven't I done so much for you? Haven't I done a lot? Surely I belong in the kingdom of God. And they will become surprised. They will become shocked. Because we read that there will be those that enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go through it. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. At the time of the end when Jesus Christ returns to the earth, there will be those individuals who are thinking that they should be accepted and they will be turned away from by Jesus, saying, I know you not. We living our lives today must know what to do and then do it. Without either, we are lost. Our prayer, our hope, is that we may come to know God, to believe in him, and live a life that is pleasing before him. And that is our goal in life, is to be acceptable before God, to bring honor to his name, and paying respect to the creator of all the earth. <music>